0: Whoa!
1: When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be power for earthquakes, famines, and plagues from place to place And awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Were these words rather chilling to open up our program today? Hopefully they were, and they're probably words that you're hearing from, well, a lot of sources, maybe even within your own mind and heart, because in fact, these were words from the scripture. They were from the 21st chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. And this was, of course, the account of the end times, as Jesus was warning them as he was coming to the end of his earthly life. And a lot of people are quoting this passage today, because it seems like we're seeing these signs coming true. So the question is, are we? Are these the end times? That's a question that's often asked, especially in times of disaster, the things we're seeing, especially recently, the biggest hurricanes in history, at least recorded history. Maybe they were bigger before we started recording. We don't know. But in recorded history, the worst hurricanes ever, some of the worst earthquakes are happening. And these things are happening to very innocent poor people, to nations and islands where people live simply and Poorly, for the most part. What did they do wrong? In contrast, here in the light of the East Studios in the Chicago area, here at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, which is a suburb of Chicago just 30 miles south of downtown, we've been having for several weeks now some of the most heavenly weather, some of the most beautiful weather I can remember. This is one of the longest strings of gorgeous, perfect weather, and I'm talking night and day. The sunrises, the sunsets, the stars at night, the moon the temperature, the flowers, everything is just gorgeous. At least at the moment of the recording of this program, it has been for us here. What a contrast and why. A lot of questions may be coming to mind in my mind, my heart, and probably yours. And that question ultimately comes around to the big question. Are these the end times? Well, the answer is yes, and we don't know. See once again as always we live in the both end here on um, light of the east because <laughs> that's where as we talked about even last week this is where everything needs to be lived it needs to be lived in that confluence of complementary things in the mystery the both end so the answer to the question are these the end times yes they are definitely they are the end times in the sense that they are the times after the incarnation After the great mystery, after Jesus Christ has come on earth, after God, the invisible God made himself visible in the flesh by taking on human flesh, there's nothing else that needs to be revealed. All things have been revealed. All revelation ended with Jesus and the apostles. Now it just has to be played out for however long, in whatever way, God himself and only God himself knows how it will be played out, how it should be played out. So, yes, we are in the end times in the sense that there is nothing more to be revealed. It's just to be lived and played out. At the same time, the other part of the question, the the question that most people really are asking is Is Jesus coming soon? Is the world going to end? That's the part that I say we don't know. So, the answer is yes, it's the end times. At the same time, we don't know. We don't know, only God in heaven knows. But what's the important point, though? And this is a very big point when we get to Eastern Christian spirituality, which of course is part of our message here, a big part of our message here in Light of the East. How do we look at these signs? How do we look at this question of the end times from the standpoint of the Eastern lung of the church? One of the ways we do is by a word that we say in our liturgy, but not just anywhere in the liturgy. It comes during the anaphora which the West would understand is the Eucharistic prayer. And that word is a very important word. It probably just kind of goes past most people in church. Maybe, maybe not, but I suspect it does. Because it's ensconced in the middle of a very meaningful prayer, and it comes after the consecration in the Byzantine liturgy. And that word is vigilance. We pray that receiving the Eucharist will give us, among many things, a spirit of vigilance. And vigilance is a very, very strong concept in the spiritual masters of the Eastern churches, those desert fathers, because spirituality basically is about being alert, being on your toes, being awake. In contrast, remember the story of the foolish virgins who slept while the other good virgins, the wise virgins, got their candles and they were already awaiting the coming of the bridegroom, because they knew not when he would come, but they wanted to be vigilant. That whole story itself echoes this concept from our liturgy, the concept of vigilance. In fact, it's a very strong concept in Christianity itself. Spirituality is about being awake. Repeatedly in the Byzantine liturgy, we say the words, and this is especially said by the deacon, wisdom, be attentive, or arise, arise, wisdom, be attentive. The deacon is forever calling people to attention, which is basically a form of vigilance. The preferred posture for worship in the Eastern liturgies is standing. It's because, among a number of reasons, it's because it gives a spirit of vigilance, of being on your toes. Reminds you of like a kind of like a shortstop in a baseball game or a linebacker at a football game. Notice how they stand. They stand kind of a little bent over bent forward, and they're basically on their toes, feet spread apart a little bit. They're ready to move at any minute. They're ready to go after whatever comes their way. That's called vigilance. We're supposed to be the same way in our spirituality, ever mindful of which way the devil might attack us, but more so always mindful and vigilant of the presence of God, the goodness of God. So the things that are happening right now, whether they really do signal that the end times, the end end times, as we think of them, are near, or they're far, far away. In other words, Jesus did not give a specific chronological timeline. He just said that these will be signs. In fact, he said, when you see some of these signs, that's not the end yet. He was telling us, even through the signs, be vigilant. If these, in fact, are the signs Jesus is talking about, the point is, the message is, to be vigilant at all times. And also, you notice how this passage from Luke ended. He said that, don't be afraid, as horrific as these things are going to be, earthquakes and war and so on, he said, be happy because your redemption is finally near at hand. In other words, this earth will pass away and all of its woe and its mournings. it will pass away to give rise to something else, to a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And in fact, in the Byzantine liturgy, we speak about the new Jerusalem. In fact, the entire liturgy, the entire art and architecture of the church is, in a sense, a representation of the new Jerusalem. Now we're getting into the book of Revelations, which is often used as a book to interpret the end times because it's full of all kinds of prophecies that seem to be a lot of gloom and doom. Well, that's actually a misinterpretation of Revelations. Yes, there's a lot of horrific and frightening imagery in there. A lot of be careful because the end is coming or the retribution is coming. There is that in there. However, the greater part of the book of Revelation and its central message, that's always what's important. It is always what is important is the message. The central and greater message of the book of Revelations, despite all the other imagery that sometimes frightens us, is that God triumphs in the end and there'll be a new Jerusalem. There'll be the wedding feast of the Lamb We will be united as the bride to the one bridegroom Christ, happy forever, and there'll be victory over evil once and for all. That's the message. But there's a lot that sets up that message, and that's the part that we sometimes get really fixated on and sometimes misinterpret, sort of frighten ourselves, or use it as almost a sense of as if we're prophets too. Well, the end is coming. You see, look, it says right here, yes, the end is coming. How far off it is, we don't know. The point is, be vigilant and be hopeful. The Byzantine liturgy, it's art and architecture, is a veritable immersion into the book of Revelations. And this is very interesting because the book of Revelations is the one book that is not read in Byzantine liturgical services. Can you imagine that? What an irony. It is not read. It's read in Latin Rite Church and most other churches, Christian churches, especially mainline churches, referred to often. But it's not actually read in liturgical assemblies in Eastern churches. Yet, the entire design, the character of the liturgy, is all about the book of Revelations. Rather than read it, we sort of immerse ourselves into it. But there's a reason why we don't read it. And we'll talk more about its imagery and the end times when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to Life at earthlink.net. That's Tabor, spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at
1: earthlink.net. You're, You're Lord, listening to Father Thomas Loya. on light of the east mysticism it keeps men sane so said g.k. chesterton the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century hello i am father thomas j loya with an eastern christian moment christian mysticism actually means that which is most real the mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time it is life lived in the tension of paradox god is three distinct persons yet one god he is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about Him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin the elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the eastern catholic churches provide for the worshipper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane mysticism to find out more about the eastern lung of the church go to easternchristianmedia.com Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're asking the question about the end times and looking at the signs of the end times and how the end times are literally reflected and lived in the liturgy of the Eastern churches. But speaking of prophecies that can sometimes frighten us or signs that can sometimes reveal awesome things to us, the miracle, the apparitions at Fátima in Portugal have much to offer in this regard. I'm sure most of us are aware of that. There were great predictions that came from the Blessed Mother to these young children, prophecies, but also ultimately, just like the book of Revelation and all of the apocalyptic or eschatological theology of the church, the bottom line is, the ultimate message is triumph of good over evil. But speaking of Fatima, there's still time to become part of the trip that I am the spiritual director for, a trip to Fatima. It's going to be Thursday to Thursday. It's eight days, October 26th through November 2nd. October 26th and November 2nd. And that's a Thursday to Thursday. To get information, to sign up, email at this address. Horizons at parma.org. Horizons at parma.org. In the subject line, put the name Laura, who is organizing this retreat. She's the editor of the Horizons newspaper. That's the official paper of my eparchy, the Eparchy of Parma. So, Horizons at parma.org. Horizons at parma.org. Subject line: Laura, for our trip to Phanema, which certainly had its own predictions, and those predictions have all come true. But again. They were prophetic, they were frightening, but underneath it was a message that was actually hopeful and positive and loving. Our Blessed Mother, our Father in Heaven, want us to be safe and happy. And like mothers and fathers do, sometimes they have to tell us what we're doing wrong, warn us, encourage us, scold us, cajole us, affirm us. And this happens this happens through apparitions. It happens through salvation history, through the scripture. It happens even through icons. Icons weep miraculously. There are a number of them that have been weeping in the last several decades, even here in America. We don't know exactly, again, the sign, what it means, but it, it certainly calls us to vigilance, to reflect on our lives, to prayer. I have to say this about some of those icons. Some of those icons were Syrian and also Albanian in origin. And we all know what's happened the last several decades. Terrible wars and atrocities in those countries, in Albania and in Syria. So, yeah, that's right. We have to wonder. We can't say specifically, but we have to take notice and be thankful. When you ask a church, especially an Orthodox church, Whenever they have these phenomenons of these icons that weep, or they, they, they secrete this myrrh that has a fragrance to it, and there's no way to explain it because of the amount of it, the constant flow. And there are miraculous healings from these icons as well. When you ask them to interpret it, they'll tell you we can't interpret it. All we know is that it's a blessing, and it makes us mindful of prayer. It makes us mindful of ourselves, to take stock in ourselves. In other words, it makes us vigilant. And that should be enough of an explanation. Sure, we'd love to know more, and sometimes maybe in hindsight, because the war in Syria, the war in Albania, both those wars came after these icons were weeping. In fact, these icons were here in the Chicago area, in a Syrian Orthodox Church and in an Albanian Orthodox Church. Interesting, isn't it? But again, they were weeping well prior to the wars. So in hindsight, maybe that was the signal. But regardless of whether we can pinpoint what signs are about, whether the signs from Jesus Christ or the signs from miraculous icons or the apparitions at Fatima or Lourdes. Regardless of the pinpointing, what is important, and I can't stress this enough, is that it calls us to be mindful, to mindfulness of ourselves, of deeper prayer. There's always, always a message here of reparation, reconciliation, penance, prayer. And trust in God. Those are the pillars of our faith that should not scare us, that should not be strange to us. But for some reason, we need to be reminded of that, and we are so through signs and warnings that, although frightening, they're basically telling us to do what is natural. If you trust in God, if you love God, if you turn to God, you are quite naturally, if you're doing it sincerely and authentically, you're quite naturally going to have a sense of your own unworthiness, your own sinfulness. You know, when something is very, very bright, other things look less bright or even dull in contrast. Let me give you a little tip from my art background. I want you to go around your house. I want you to select several items that you call white, like a white shirt or a bed sheet, a white piece of paper, white paint on the wall, a white coffee cup, whatever. Get a bunch of things that you say are white. Now put them together and look at them. You'll be amazed at how different they are in color and shade and intensity. White is not just white, at least not in this side of eternity. Maybe in the next life it is because it's pure and radiant and brilliant. But white becomes basically almost a relative thing. So one piece that you might be choosing might be the brightest of all. And what's it going to do? It's going to make that other thing that you thought was white look off-white. It might even make it look yellow or brownish. Try it. Well, this is what happens when it comes to holiness. When we are in the presence of God, when we are mindful of God, when the saints, the mother of God, are are speaking to us, we feel close to them, they're revealing themselves to us, we're going to naturally feel not so white in their presence. And that should call us then to repentance, continual repentance. And as we say during the Lenten season so ingeniously in the Byzantine church, that the repentance is actually our joy. That's why we call it a bright sadness. We're sad because we're mindful of our sinfulness, of our dark side, where we need healing. But then that moves us to improve, to holiness. And so it's a bright thing all at the same time. Notice how we're still in the both-and once again? Can't stress that enough. That is one of our biggest points here In light of the East, one of our biggest takeaways of everything we do in light of the East, live in the both and. And the Eastern churches are very, very good at communicating that. A few more things about the book Revelation in relation to Eastern liturgy. As I mentioned, we immerse ourselves in it. And I also brought up the question as to why we don't read it at our liturgy. Well, one of the reasons is, is because in the Eastern churches, they were very slow to actually accept that book into the canon of Scripture. See, the canon of Scripture was not accepted all at the same time across the world. It sort of moved like a you know like an amoeba. Remember that from science class, where one part of it goes out in front of the other, the other part kind of drags in behind it and catches up? Well, that's sort of how the canon of Scripture was made. And so the East and West eventually arrived at the same canon, but they, they did so at different paces. So the book Revelations was one book that the Eastern churches was rather slow about, precisely because it was so full of, well, or so much in need of, so much interpretation. Plus, the Eastern churches always have a slight skepticism about personal revelations. And for them, in the Eastern churches, the personal revelation has to have a certain kind of public dimension to it, which of course eventually it did. The book of Revelations, all of St. John's Gospel and the book of Revelations does have a personal dimension to it and a public dimension as well. So the East was rather slow to read it because of its need and its vulnerability to interpretation, maybe too much interpretation. Yet at the same time, there we are both and again, at the same time, the East took back book of Revelations and literally designed its whole liturgy its whole art architecture which works together in an integrated fashion it designed it around the book of revelations for instance we have from the very first chapter verse 8 of book of revelations the alpha and the omega i am the alpha and the omega the one who is the almighty one those words encircle oftentimes the great icon of the pantocrator the all powerful ruler in the ceiling of the dome the cupola of many eastern churches You have also references to incense, the four corners of the earth. Four corners is used a lot in the imagery, even in the architecture of Eastern churches. You have the fine linens. You have St. Michael. You have judgment. You have verses like No Pain or Sorrow, which we use in our liturgical services for the deceased. We have also The image of the wedding feast of the Lamb and the door, like in chapter 4. The wedding feast of the Lamb and the sanctuary set apart by the door. That's how our icon screen is designed. The Holy of Holies is like the nuptial chamber set apart from the rest of the church, the nave. And only the high priest enters there, just like in the Old Testament, for the holiest of reasons for that nuptial mystical union on the altar between Christ the Bridegroom and his Bride. There is so much imagery in the art architecture of the Eastern churches, especially in the Byzantine liturgy, that is an immersion in the imagery of the book of Revelations. So going back to original question, is this the end times? Yes, we've been living in it. We're immersed in it liturgically. Do we know exactly when it will all end as we know it? No. The important thing, though, is through the liturgy, through listening to the scriptures, through just being vigilant to the presence of god we are ultimately to remain people of joy and hope i want to thank you for listening i'm father thomas loya on light of the east to hear light of the east again
0: visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the features and programs tab and on itunes Catholic Radio gives us an opportunity to become part of a larger family. It can be so lonely when we are struggling
1: in our faith or just try to live our faith on our own. But Catholic Radio connects us to that larger community of faith where we're able to get the support, the encouragement, and the grace that we need to not just struggle on, but to really celebrate all the blessings that God brings into our life through our Catholic faith. Dr. Greg Popchak thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening.